podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of now five books on cycling, writer of all things fitness and outdoorsy related, and lover of all things fitness and outdoorsy. And I'm Peter Glassford, Molly's co-host here on the Consummate Athlete podcast. I am a kinesiologist and professional bicycle coach, and I also race bicycles periodically. I just was back racing this past weekend and was fortunate enough to come down with a cold, which was about time given the amount of travel and stuff we do. So I was back and forth and I elected to race as I haven't raced in a while and had a bike that needed to get sort of set up. and. So I made the most of it. It was one of those ones where I'm probably going to be worse off as far as fitness in a couple of weeks with lost training time, but we'll see. We'll see. I, Anyhow, I, think, I did okay, and I felt good, and the bike was good. And it I set think up. mentally you, you needed the race. You would have been a bit of a mess, I think, especially since I flew in from Sea Otter Classic, and for those bike nerds out there, you guys know it's one of the bigger like, trade shows of the year. Uh, unlike Interbike, though, it's outside, which is pretty sick. Um, and it's tons of racing kind of surrounding the expo. So it's always really fun. I got to catch up with a bunch of people and yeah, talk to a bunch of people about my new book, Shred Girls, Lindsay's Joyride, which I'm super excited about. But then poor Peter had to wait till 1130 on Sunday night after his race day to pick me up at the airport. It was okay though. I mean, we're both pretty busy right now with it being cycling season and getting into stuff so where can people find out about this shred girls thing ah i'm so glad you asked (laughs) you can find out all about it over at shred-girls.com i will put a link to that in the show notes it's uh, available now for pre-order and it's going to release on may 31st Uh, there's also sick t-shirts and hats and i'm not gonna lie i think i actually have more t-shirt orders than books right now because the t-shirts are sweet People like reading two word. It's like not a lot of characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's much shorter than the book. <laughs> uh, and if you pre order now, you're going to get a signed copy and some stickers and fun stuff like that with it. So, you know, get over there and pre order. It's the only time you're going to get these stickers, and they are super cool. Okay, and then I'm seeing uh, our past guest, Phil Gamon, is delivering his hand to local people. Okay, I feel like you just threw me right under the bus there. Okay. Well, Phil's delivering, so if yep. people only had so much book, you know, their budget, uh-huh, uh-huh. will you deliver locally? What is locally well, for I, us? I mean, it, it's really a scam because we don't have a local area. No, so. this is going to cost a fortune. Yeah, it could be everywhere. <laughs> anyway... Order it now, and I might show up at your doorstep with it, which I feel like it's... No, that's a good guarantee. Yeah, I yeah. might. It might happen. We'll see. All right. And then you also had an article come out with Mind Body Green. Yes. Which is, is sort of a... Can I say it's a kooky website? It's a little kooky. It's very wellness It's a healthy website. Yeah. They're very into meditation and yoga, if that's any indication. And actually, I talked about uh, HRV tracking, which is going back to sort of the early days of our podcast. Oh my gosh, Peter, we haven't high-fived over sort of a big deal thing right now. Consummate Athlete Podcast is a year old. Yeah, yeah. That's and huge. I think one of our best episodes, or most liked, viewed, or whatever people do, they listen, uh, was with Stephen this past week. So, yeah, Stephen Siler. Which was, I don't know if that was one year exactly, but thereabouts. So mm-hmm. I guess we've either sort of figured out audio quality or just gotten the right people or whatever but thank you for listening and all the reviews that have gone up and so forth those do help sort of us on itunes so if you could go over and give a little click if you're maybe sitting there and just listening you could even navigate over right now and give a little click on those stars and stuff it's fairly straightforward that's right and i mean hopefully we'll be around for another year i don't think we're going anywhere i remember We decided after 20 episodes, we would decide if we were going to keep recording or not. And I think you can actually hear us talk about it in like our 20th episode or so, where the discussion basically went, do you want to keep doing this podcast? And the answer was just, yeah, of course. (laughs) I don't think think so. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Uh, Those of you who've been around since the beginning, those of you who've, you know, joined in in recent weeks and months, we appreciate all of the listens. It's really exciting to see the numbers and see them, you know, going, trending upwards. 
Um, so yeah, thank you. And yeah, and definitely any suggestions for guests we're always looking for, especially multi-sport. You know, we get into the cycling and, and endurance culture. But if you do have someone, you know, who's really good at karate or skateboarding is the one I really want to talk about. But we're missing tennis. We're missing, you know, a couple sports. We're really just trying to cross off like every sport possible and see what we can glean. You know, there's... You know, if you go back and listen, we have a NASCAR episode and an NFL, and there's some really good stuff there that I think you can pull back. Uh, the soccer episode that was with Lauren was the soccer. Lauren Susselman, yeah. And, and I there really was loved... a couple good. I was dribbling a soccer ball there for a couple. It wasn't an hour. It was mm-hmm. a couple hours, but it was maybe 20, 30 minutes and playing with sort of uh, my nephew-in-law. So yeah, so it's good. I, I've really enjoyed learning from the other sports, but I guess maybe I'm kooky with that movement stuff, but. Yeah. So anyhow, I think if you know anyone, let us know. Had to remember uh, who your nephew-in-law was. Any other that. any other projects or things that people can can know about or what's up? Oh my god, a million! But we won't. Those are probably your two big. Those things are probably right the now. yeah. Those are the two big things. Anything good at Sea Otter? Sea Otter is super fun. Um, There's a big bike expo up in uh, Northern Cali uh, for anyone who doesn't know, and it's sort of like a giant bike. Uh, expo bike show in the middle of Laguna Seca one of the not one of the most like famous racetracks but a pretty crazy racetrack it's in video games and stuff it's a pretty big deal and then they have bike races of all types road mountain so I mean as far as consummate athletes go you got a racetrack that has motorcycles and cars on it and you have bicycles of all types from road gravel cyclocross downhill dual slalom they even bring back it's a pretty consummate athlete weekend right there and then you have the the bicycling editors who snuck out on Thursday for a run. Yes, instead of all a the ride. bicycling staff run. We were we were really embarrassed actually. We thought about if we should wear like the Groucho Marks like glasses with the nose and the mustache so people wouldn't you see us. You just ran in your bicycling kits. Yeah, that would have been a really good. I've one. had a few people email me about the bicycling kits. Are they available for sale? They are. If you go to bicycling.com, uh, we have a store on there. Okay, that's good. So if you're listening and you emailed me about bicycling kits, that's um, weird. Do that, first and of if all. there's any sort of field that says where did you find out about this make sure you put my name yeah why is this glassford guy recommending all these are number one referral (laughs) anyway today's show (laughs) seven minutes in and we haven't actually mentioned it there's a lot of updates we're gonna call this our year anniversary it's not but we'll call it that there's probably a couple like mulligan episodes we can just forget yeah fair enough anyway uh, our guest today is sports how do we want to say this? Sports consultant. Sports, like a mental performance consultant. There I think we go. That was the better word. Tracy Stannard. So Tracy is another Jersey girl, just like me. So by the end of the episode, we probably start sounding pretty New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, which is very exciting. Everyone's going to want diner food and to drive on the turnpike. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what happens when you listen to this episode. Anyway, Tracy talks a ton about the mental game of endurance sport and actually any sport. She was a former professional gymnast. Uh, she got started in sport when she was, I think she says five years old. Is really young, but that's really gy- that's young. gymnastics for sure. Yeah, so it's crazy hearing about the progression for gymnastics, and we talk even a bit about gymnastics now and how it's very like in for older people and how that's pretty awesome. But we really talk a ton about some actionable stuff that you know we and you guys can do to sort of up our sports games mm-hmm. uh, from the mental side. And I mean, frankly, I like anything. That doesn't involve me having to go out and actually, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty big. And I mean, people shy away from it and think there's something wrong with you, but it's, you see it so often. Like if someone passes you in a race, do you get slower instantly? It's not because you bonked magically and got 30% worse. It's because you then judged yourself off of them. And there's a lot of different things like that where we're not able to goal set appropriately. So have goals about our pacing and be able to refocus even though someone went by you. You know, they're having a good day. Um, that shouldn't really affect your pace and, and how you're doing in an event. Um, so, yeah, Tracy talks us on a lot of things. We talk about retirement, which is, you know, something that I'm very interested in, just how people handle changes in their identity and we talk about goal setting. We talk about... I'm trying to remember what else we went into. I think those are sort of some of the big ones. The Definitely big ones. about what to do when you're feeling a little like non-motivated or unmotivated. I'm not sure which one of those is the proper word. Yeah, I think time... That really... Goal setting is such a key one with that. But mm-hmm. 
Um, oh, confidence was another big thing we talked about, <laughs> especially on race day and all of that. Um, yeah, it's a really, really cool episode. It's I love kind of the mental side of stuff. I've been getting more and more into it. Um, so yeah, I think. I think yeah, that... we we even I mean I guess define sports psych a little bit too, which mm-hmm. I think is helpful for most recreational athletes haven't been exposed to it right and even Mm -hmm. i would say most elites even still haven't been you know there's certainly people who are and do like it or have used it or dabbled but there's a lot of elites who haven't even used it and Mm -hmm. so i think it's definitely worth checking out there's some some good stuff in there again some good takeaways that hopefully you can use in your own practice or pass on to a friend Mm -hmm. all right let's get into it Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We're here with Tracy Stannard, who's the owner and developer of Aspire Performance and a former pro gymnast. So first of all, Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to talk to you guys. Yeah, we had so much fun last time I talked to you for an article for Map My Run that I absolutely knew I had to have you on here again. I think we talked about it was New Year's resolutions we were talking about, which is my favorite topic. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like a resolution fiend. I, I don't know what it is, but like back to school resolutions, New Year's resolutions, spring cleaning, like all that kind of stuff. I just love it. Yeah, it's like it's like a light vamp of uh, setting goals. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but before we get too, too far into what you do with Aspire Performance, let's talk about your background. How did you, how and when did you get into gymnastics? I actually got into gymnastics through a good friend of mine uh, at six years old. She was um, getting ready to go to her little gym class, and we had to end our what they call now play date. Um, <laughs> and I, I wanted to just see what her class was about. And so the little instructor let me kind of play around on the equipment and then um, actually got in touch with my mom and asked if I wanted to join the class. And then it just kind of came to fruition from there. Uh, It was just at a local Y, and I actually ended up staying with her um, until I was 11, which in gymnastics is old. (laughs) (laughs) And then I I moved to a private club, and my whole career kind of took off from there. Yeah, well, walk us us through your your whole gymnastics career so the listeners have a general idea, and then I'm going to dive into some of that. Okay. Um, well, private club gymnastics is more intense than most of the, you know, local um, class run programs that the kids join. And it is geared towards gymnasts that want to focus on um, a full year program and they want to do it at the competitive level. So I joined the club and then moved from um, kind of a basic level to uh, the elite path within a year. So by 12 years old, I was um, competing as a junior elite, and at that point, you're doing about 20 to 25 hours a week, Um, and that training entails uh, about four hours after school. So it's about 45 minutes on each event, and then there's stretching in the beginning and conditioning at the end. Um, so right away, you you have to make that decision whether or not you really want to want to go hands in. <laughs> yeah, how does an eleven-year-old um, then... make that decision? Oh my gosh, I still couldn't decide like what to wear to school at that point. Yeah, it's crazy, you know. But you do start at six, so then you've you've done it for four years and you've kind of gone through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, now it's even more intense. These girls at 12 years old are are homeschooling. So when I say homeschooling, that's kind of in quotes because the girls, they get to the gym at eight in the morning and then they train till noon and they do two to three hours of school at the gym. And these are the girls that I consult with. So the program has changed because then they work out, you know, after that too, their conditioning is done um, at the end. So it's a very unique sport. That's crazy so what about it like kind of hooked you was it just you love doing the the flips was there one specific thing like (laughs) it probably started with just the flips and the fact that 
it does separate you right away when you show talent, um, even within the class. Mm-hmm. It kind of, it, it makes you realize, like, okay, this isn't normal that I can do all these things. And um, just once you start, there's so many skills in gymnastics, and once you start to get them, it just builds upon another, and you want more and more. And then, you know, you're you're in a competition, and you have all these jitters, and it's so nerve-wracking, and then you finish it. And it's such an accomplishment when you finish it. Mm-hmm. So it's this, like, weird love-hate. <laughs> totally. So I have to ask, is it is it like the show Make It or Break It, or is that just super <laughs> dramatized? Because I, obs- I watched that show on the trainer for a season, and I was obsessed. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's okay. So there's you take bits and pieces of those, and then you put them in Hollywood. <laughs> so there are um, some situations that can get kind of blown out of proportion, um, but for the most part, it's it's kind of a, a day in day out, just hard working, you know, process that you have to go through. That every athlete, I think, you know, gets a taste of at a high level. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's a little Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. So, geez, from, like, the age of 11, then you were, I mean, frick, from the age of six, you were learning this whole, like, mental performance aspect, because I feel like gymnastics is a lot of mental, right? It is, it is, and it's amazing to see hindsight, how much of an impact, um, just really thinking that I could do it uh, had, because I I really had a poor um, kind of self-concept within sport. Mm-hmm. starting out i i didn't think that i would ever be the level that i became um but once i started to realize that that was something that was in my physical capacity i really really benefited from that so mm-hmm. that's how i got involved in uh sports psychology myself i did work i started working with a sports psychologist um at the age of 15 14 15 because mm-hmm. I wanted to quit. I was just kind of burned out and done with it and frustrated with myself um, and then started working with her and it it really just all clicked within one year and um, by the next year, which was 1991-1992, that was the Olympic trials and um, some really high-level competitions that I started to qualify for. So once I was able to get to that level, then I realized, okay, I got, I got this. I can really continue on um, mm-hmm. and do national team and, and those types of, of collegiate experiences too. Yeah, and then you competed all through college too, right? I did. I did. It, it was funny because I wasn't going to initially even look into doing it um, in college, and then by the time, you know, I was 16, 17, I thought, well, I, I've made it pretty far, and and my dad had a little bit of an input saying, please, could you please just at least look at the schools, because yeah. you'll pay for everything. <laughs> health IQ is a life insurance company that promotes a health-conscious lifestyle through financial rewards. They've used science and data to get lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people just like you, including those who exercise four times a week through cycling, weightlifting, swimming, running, whatever consummate athlete lifestyle you're, you're undertaking. Research has shown that people who are highly active through exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and 34% lower risk of early death. Many people who exercise regularly don't realize that they can get a special rate with Health IQ if they qualify through the Health IQ quiz. Health IQ has special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, vegans, and other health-conscious people, so you can qualify by scoring elite on quizzes for specific lifestyles. Essentially replacing BMI with waist-to-hip ratio for better predictors of cardiovascular disease when it comes to weightlifters and muscular builds. That's great for me. They also have replaced the LDL-HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for low-carb and paleo dieters, which is a better predictor of cholesterol health, and they don't take into account one incidence of family history if you're otherwise healthy. So, go over to healthiq.com slash CAPOD 
And, All lowercase. And take that quiz. Um, they have a bunch of different quizzes on the website, and the website's pretty well designed, so it's worth heading over there, checking it out, and again, using that link, healthiq.com slash C-A-P-O-D. So, Dan, how far did you go then? So you went right through college, which would be like you'd be 24, 25, sort of towards the end of college then? Um, yeah, you know, gymnastics has kind of a, a reverse... Um, system than the normal sports because you do peak around 16 to 18 typically. The girls now are getting older and they're repeating these Olympics, which is phenomenal. But for the most part, um, around 16, 17, 18, you're at the highest point if you reach the elite level. And then you go on to college, which is... um, you still have you, you have elite level competitors, but it's more so a level ten, um, which is just one level below elite. And these girls and myself also, you you water down your skills a little bit, and uh, you just kind of have fun because it's a team competition versus the individual. That's the most important part is kind of being there for the college and your team and to represent um, the college. And then I was done by uh, my senior year, the the end of my senior year. And that's usually when everybody kind of wraps it up and, you know, you go on to coach or graduate school or whatever. And I ended up continuing my schooling out in Utah. That's interesting. It's uh, I, I'm always curious about retirement in general, but also from sport, I guess, specifically. And that almost sounds, you know, as much as there's, I guess, a bit of a reputation for gymnastics with the younger athletes and younger peak as as you say but that actually sounds like a fairly healthy transition out of sport to move towards like a you know less focus on yourself team oriented thing um you know it's, yeah. it seemed like it was well known that like you're transitioning it, it's, yes yes and it is definitely like you said it's a really healthy transition in comparison to what you know the the girls that are um, kind of professional, quote-unquote, status, um, because then if they don't have a career lined up or they don't have an idea of where they want to take themselves beyond their sport, it is a very difficult transition. And um, a couple of, of former athletes and I have really had some, you know, long, in-depth conversations about that because there are some athletes that have reached out to us just saying, like, what do you do now? You know, this is this is really weird because I'm so, so young. Mm-hmm. I'm 25 years old and I just feel uh, out there. And, and you are, it's a different social interaction when you're training. So you really don't get um, like the business world or just a general social situation. It's, it's difficult if you're not, um, you know, an, an extrovert naturally. Mm-hmm. So when you when you did get out of it, did you pick up any other sports, or have you stuck with gymnastics training? Like, what do you do now? You know, I, I run, and I did run while um, while I was in gymnastics, very very lightly in comparison to what I started to do. You know, when I was finished, because um, the the cross training you got to watch with gymnastics. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a a different sport than any other sport. Um, but I just, it, it, the mental cleansing that that running gave me right when I finished was so healthy. Um, and it's open to everyone versus gymnastics. It's like, well, if you don't make this level, then you're out. And in running, it's everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go on a fun run or you can go on an ultra marathon. It's just, it's such a huge sport. Um, so it was, that was a good transition for me. And I entered just a couple races just to have something to train for. Um, and it was on my own time too. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering just to back up when you were in school then in, in college, that was for sports psych, that first sort of your undergraduate, I guess, is that how the path you took? So my undergraduate, I did um, a psychology major, just straight psychology. And my fourth year of um, college, I did an internship with, um, we have to take psychiatric classes just as prep 
um, if you know that you're going to do something further with psychology. So I didn't want to do adult psychiatry, and I my only other choice was children. And um, I wasn't sure what it was going to entail, but a six-week internship on uh, in a school with children with behavioral disorders, and um, it it was amazing. It was the best experience. I had never worked with kids before because I just had never had the time to babysit or do anything extra, mm-hmm. um, you know, with training, and it was. It was amazing. So my thesis in graduate school then morphed to using sports psychology skills on children with uh, behavioral disorders. So my master's degree, I'll kind of backtrack for a second. My master's degree is in the psychosocial aspect of sport, which is very, um, it's very defined within having to deal with social concepts within training and how to deal with yourself and the coach and others around you. Neat. I like that. That's really neat. That would go into a lot of important things that sort of get brushed aside when we're just talking about training and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So did you get interested in sports psych after you went to a sports psychologist when you were like feeling like you were about ready to quit gymnastics? Was it like talking to yeah, him or her that was just like, yep, this is what I want to do? Yeah, and I think um, the the thing that lured me in was she didn't only talk about, um, you know, deep breathing and visualization. Mm-hmm. It was like, let's make this experience for you original. Let's make this unique to you because gymnastics at the time was, Um, it was a very kind of rote, this is what you do, this is what, um, you know, the Soviets were doing at the time, so we show up at practice and we'll follow this schedule and then go home and rest. And and when she said, no, like, let's bring nutrition into this and let's bring your own conditioning or, you know, some stretching or yoga and massage and all of these different wellness tips when she started to bring that in, I was like, you know, this is this is my thing. This is my career, and I can really make myself the best that I possibly can be within this regimented um, kind of stoic sport. And you see it now, the girls are much more open and kind of smiley and bouncy. But back then, it really, it was not like that at all. Um, I think the Soviets had a big influence on, on the training that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. Um, and then, okay, so you went to school at University of Utah, but now you're back in New Jersey. So, are you? First of all, are you fr- <laughs> are you a Jersey girl originally? Are we part of the same club? I, yes, yes, I am originally a Jersey girl. I grew up in New Jersey, um, and my brother. I have three older brothers, and my middle brother um, moved out to Sun Valley, Idaho, when I was in tenth grade. And we would go out there to visit him. And I was like, oh, I love the West. I love it out West. And I wanted to go to UCLA. So I um, was getting some letters from them and um, was all geared up to go on my recruiting trip. And they called and they were having issues with um, the funding with all the different female sports and bringing in new sports and so forth. So they kind of offered, well, if you sign this petition, then we can keep gymnastics as a sport and so forth. And mm. at 17 years old, you're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't really know. If, <laughs> I don't know what this means, but I don't think that I want to count on this for the next four years. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I kind of gently bowed out of that one and uh, took some, some other trips. Um, to different schools, and Utah just happened to be such a good, good fit. It matched uh, the the program here um, that I was raised in, and then it had mountains and all of the outdoor stuff that I love, so mm-hmm. it worked. But then you needed to come back to New Jersey. And then, <laughs> yes, well, I my husband is, uh, he's in finance. So it, it kind of matched the whole, you know, East Coast. A job came up for him out mm-hmm. here, and my family, my whole family was back here. So mm-hmm. it just it 
it morphed into something different. <laughs> no, you and I, I think, have that in common. Like, I, I love the West Coast so much, but I can't imagine not ending up back East at some point in time. Yeah, and you do get a feeling when, you, when, you're, when you're in this area that a lot, um, you're, you're kind of used to that fast pace, even though you, yes. you like the kind of more relaxed outdoor atmosphere. There's something in you that you get a little jittery about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so what I'm wondering here is, so you had this really good sports psych sort of, I guess, experience as, a, as an athlete, and then you went through the graduate program and had the experience with sort of the children and the sort of social aspects um, of sports psych. So then maybe, you know, I coach athletes uh, in endurance sport, and to me the sports psych is very important. I've had some good experiences myself as an athlete, but I find that sports psych's not really common still, and a lot of times sports psychs aren't, I, I always say open for business, but hopefully you get a sense of what I mean with that. Like it's hard for athletes to find them, especially when they're not in a national team program. Um, for like a regular Absolutely. regular experience, right? Again, it would be right down your alleyway with the, the social interactions. Like they can't find a, a relationship with a sports psych. So maybe if you could sort of even just introduce us to what sports psych is in your definition, like what your business does, I guess. Sure, sure. Um, well, sports psychology is it's a very individualized um, business. So there are, I myself do not have a PhD, so I, I don't and I'm not allowed to call myself a sports psychologist, so I'm a consultant. Mm -hmm. And um, over the years, I've actually developed kind of a, a passion for what I do versus what um, I would have done as a, as a PhD student with more clinical background and, um, you know, just solely doing um, the work that a psychologist and does do, um, I can kind of, you know, go into a really individualized plan for an athlete, whether they want to explore um, just, you know, their nerves and anxiety with that's, that's wrapped around competing, or if they want to just become, you know, stronger and more confident in general as, as a person in sport. Um, sports psychology is focus within sport day in and day out training as well as the competitive atmosphere. So I have athletes that um, they thrive off of competition, so their daily training is very, very difficult for them. So then you work in, you know, goal setting within the daily concept. Um, vice versa, you've got an athlete that really thrives and just loves routine so they love the daily training, and then they get to a, a competition and it's or a race rather, and it's it's just a nightmare for them. So they can't, you know, put two and two together. Um, so then we would work on how do you feel daily in training, and how can you convert that into your competition and and feel the same way, um, and that's the mindfulness of it. That's how do I feel today and how can I continue this feeling, you know, day in and day out, whether it's competition or not. That's really neat. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, I mean, since we're on the, the topic of, I guess, goal setting, um, kind of want to skip around here a little bit. Um, for somebody who's, you know, amateur athlete, I'd say that like kind of wants to set some goals, but just doesn't really like know how to do it per se. <laughs> any any sort of tips on like goal setting 101 <laughs> absolutely um i use kind of the the grocery store list idea with this because um you know you know in the back of your mind that it's so super important to make a grocery list but mm -hmm. how many times you show up at the store and you just kind of throw stuff in your cart and i think that amateur athletes do that too because they don't have the guidelines or the template for um, goal setting, and goal setting really is just a grocery list. It's 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 showing up in you know the morning with a pen and pencil or you know your iPad or whatever it is that you use and making a list that you know you want to buy for your day. 
Um, so you want to write down what it is that you want to accomplish and then um, where is that going to get you? And that's what you want to think about. Like what, what is the end result? What am I working towards? And what are all these little things that are going to add up to that end result? Because it doesn't really matter at what level you're setting these goals for. Um, because in reality, you know, to get philosophical, it's like we're all people, we're all working towards things that we want to accomplish, um, whether it be in sport or, you know, on a, a daily basis. Um, so goals are super important at any level. I love that. Um, and you and I have talked before when we were talking about New Year's resolutions. So many people sort of go with, like, the, the um, I'm going to call it fast food um, goal setting <laughs> of, like, I want to get in shape or I want to lose weight or, like, I want to lose 20 pounds, which is still, like, the most arbitrary number known to man. But, like, ask anyone and it's, like, I want to lose 5 pounds, 10 pounds, or 20 pounds. Like, why is it a round yeah, number? Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I guess like, you know, what's, what's kind of the down downfall of those kind of big amorphous goals and how can somebody kind of fix them? Yeah, I think big is definitely the key word there. They're just too big. Um, they're easy to say and really hard to do. So you have to break it down. You have to really look at the process of what does it mean to lose even five pounds and we did we talked about this and and whether it be five pounds or, or 20 pounds it's the day in routine um, that really counts like what is it what is it going to take for you to uh, uh, make that grocery list of foods and actually put those healthy foods in your cart and come back and you know cook them and prepare them so you're not just um, dealing with this feast or famine type and, you know, grabbing at things at 9 o'clock at night, um, you know, and the same goes for just in general regular goal setting. Um, you have to feel in your mind, this is where the visualization comes in and, and the mental practice, like what is it going to take day in and day out to reach that goal? Mm-hmm. Um, not the huge just one week or one month concept of like, yeah, you know, I want to reach the next level or I want to become an elite level athlete. What does that count? What does that mean on a daily basis? Yeah, I love that. It's funny. I actually just started a blog post that I haven't actually written. I just kind of wrote the title down because it's something I keep saying in my head like lately where I'm just like, if I'm eating a cookie or something in the afternoon, my immediate reaction is like, I'll do better tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> and I've been so down that road lately, and I'm like trying to back out of it. So, do you have any, I guess, advice for getting back to those daily routines when we know that we're supposed to be in them, and we just keep finding ourselves being like, "I'll start tomorrow." Totally starting. Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, starting to starting like <laughs> next meal, ne- next week. You know, when it's less busy. One of the things is to shift focus. So. Instead of thinking that you're going to start something new, it's actually um, come up with what is it that you're going to do instead of. Um, So instead of a cookie, you're going to do this. And then that this part, like I'm going to take the dog for a walk or I'm going to, you know, color in my my mindfulness book or whatever. Um, it's, It's something after that to continue your regular daily routine to kind of weave in something completely different than that, you know, four o'clock cookie or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Peter, I don't know if you heard that, but we need to get a dog is what I just got. From <laughs> whole. I, I thought that it was, we were supposed to go for a walk and eat some celery. I heard dog. <laughs> <laughs> I've been campaigning lately. I keep saying it's going to make me walk more. So it's, it, you know what? It's going to make you do everything more. We just got See? two nine week old puppies. Oh. So <laughs> Sounds, I'm like, doing everything sounds more. like so much work. Oh goodness! I don't, I, have, have... I don't have the energy. I'd have to goal set to just get everything done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one. Yeah. Oh man! Okay, I have to ask, what kind of puppies? So they're a Cavalier mix. They're oh. brothers, and they're, uh, they're great energy. I can tell you that. Oh. I just fun. want it one. I'm not even asking for two. Like... Well, when you come. We can definitely take it for a walk. Yes. <laughs> we can test it out. <laughs> there you go. 
perfect. All right. Um, yes. <laughs> when you're when you're dealing with uh, with athletes, is there one? Th- and I mean, I I'm sure it varies from person to person. But do you notice anything that I guess amateur athletes I'm thinking of in particular are missing on the mental side? Like, is there one big kind of field of focus that a lot of them tend to ignore? You know what? A lot of them are extremely smart. Um, so you deal with this concept that. Um, you're explaining them, you're explaining to them these things that, that can help and, and they get it and they'll do it for, you know, a little bit. And then if they make a mistake or they have a bad day, um, all of a sudden it's like these concepts don't work. So it's the stick it's mm-hmm. the belief that they just, they lack in. Um, it's not the talent and it's not the capability. It's more so just the, the belief that uh, if you keep going and you push through those days that things don't go the way that you want them to go, that's when it works. These things, of course, they're going to work on a good day, mm-hmm. but you have to push through and believe with these concepts on a bad day and then see that, you know, it all it all will work out because you can pull from it later on. And they all kind of seem to fall into that same, like, throw your hands up in the air type category. (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of, you know, executive clients and, you know, like you say, smart people. My business is actually called Smart Athlete, so that's sort of the, we're on the same page there, I guess. But Awesome. um, Yeah, so (laughs) the... I do see that, though, where they're used to that, like, high-performance business sort of thing. Uh, world, I guess, and mm-hmm. you know, pushing mm-hmm. it through and it working, and if it doesn't work, then you know, whatever. Like it's a really bad day, and you get grumpy and stuff. But um, yeah. it, it's funny. The AI, yeah, you definitely okay. No, we gotta change it. We gotta do more intensity, or I, you know, I added 15 intervals today because I felt like horrible yesterday, or you know, something just like really yeah. jumping off the, you know, just keep it going. You know, <laughs> take an easy day. Go to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, it's all, it's kind of the ebb and flow and things that you have to accept those days because they are actually the things that, you know, like everybody says, but doesn't really um, kind of thrive off of the concept that the hard times are the ones that that make you stronger and um, you learn so much because you can look back and say, I did it then. There's no reason that I can't you know, do it right now or do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, too, though, there's there's super importance to knowing that if you had a bad day, you also have to look in to the fact that maybe I'm tired, maybe I'm just expecting too much of myself, or um, i got to get my act together, and tomorrow I'm going to push through it uh, and, you know, kind of just um, be brighter and be smarter and, and more intuitive. And I think sometimes that's the, what's missed is either, yeah, there's those practices outside. So it could be a goal setting, like, you know, connecting the bad sleep or, you know, stressful day at work to the underperformance in the sport. Or it Mm -hmm. could also be, maybe that's the point of the training is to feel tired and, you know, not have your best day ever, every single day, right? Like sometimes that gets missed that the point of training is to develop some fatigue to then develop fitness. Um, so not yeah, every, not every absolutely. day in cycling, we have Strava. I don't know if you know Strava or not, but and they have it in running. They have running Strava for yeah. sure. Yeah, so, no, no, I, I, I do. I do. Perfect. Um, I, I, I think it's great to track, um, and it can be, you know, at a very high tech level or it can just be the, you know, simple, um, for, for, like the everyday athlete, just kind of track how I feel and, and why do I think that I felt that way? Um, because we forget, you know, we are in the moment people, but we've got so many distractions that to expect to remember, you know, the day in and day out of training is, it's too much. We can't do it. Um, so we do have to stay in the moment. That's important, but tracking is is super important as well. And then you can pull from, you know, your self-knowledge, um, of what you've tracked. Mm -hmm. That makes a ton of sense. Um, and then, okay, so with, with all of that, let's talk about, like, race day and, like, <laughs> nerves on the on the start line, confidence on the start line. I know this is where I'm, like, 
you know, to get kind of graphic here, hitting the porta potty just over and over again and slightly yeah. terrified and like debating whether I could like just leave and go home and all of that. Yeah. So how do yeah. we get through that? <laughs> and, and uh, in simple terms, it's just dealing with that, that fight or flight, you know, let me, let me get out of here cause it'll make everything better. Um, so there's a couple different ways that I talk to my athletes depending on their age with this whole thing. And the bottom line with competition is we all like to finish things. So it's it's not a negative that, you know, you have someone say to you, I can't wait till this is done. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that they're so terrified about what's going to happen in the race. They could be just excited about the feeling of accomplishing it and being done. Um, so tell them to thrive off of that and and plan what it's going to feel like and what it's going to be like to finish, you know, your four-hour competition or your four-hour race or whatever. What is that going to feel like? And then how can you bring that excitement and those endorphins and all of those things um, throughout the race and in the beginning of the race? Um, and then, of course, you know, your rituals and patterns are so, so important that you establish during the daily training and that's great for the athletes that they really, you know, struggle with the daily training. It's just boring for them. But if you tell them that this is, you know, in pure preparation for the race, which you love, so establish the things that will make you feel even better on race day. Um, establish them now and, you know, practice them day in and day out. And then by the time you get to the race, it's just routine. and You can kind of go through this process um, and calm yourself down you can do that big race this year whether it's a gravel grinder grand fondo mountain bike marathon or a stage race don't put it off or show up unprepared let smart athlete that's peter glassford help you train optimally for your goals you're not the same as your friends or a random pro get a plan that fits into your life and takes your fitness and your experience into account As a kinesiologist, professional cycling coach, and experienced rider, I have a unique balance of theoretical and practical experience that can help you reach your goals. Whether you need a simple training plan to follow or daily contact to dial in your training and adapt to your changing lifestyle and needs, or maybe you just need a skill session to get ready to hop logs and shred some trails at an upcoming mountain bike race, I can help. Visit smartathlete.ca to find out more and get started. It's funny, I was just listening to something that talked about the whole thing where our bodily responses to like fear and excitement are actually like really, really similar. So I think what you said about channeling the the fear into like being excited about racing is really, really smart. Yeah, and one of of the things that is, it's interesting that um, even uh, in, in, mainstream psychology they're starting to talk more and more about tricking the mind and that would be a generalized concept that that my younger athletes really would would use a lot they would always say to me um well i just pretend that i'm in practice that's that's what seems to work for me the most and they're finding in mainstream psychology that you know we're in more control than we think we are and these unique conversations that we have when we're under pressure and we're feeling fearful are really just another part of our brain trying to protect us. Um, And we need to talk those down and really support and talk up reality. What's happening now? I'm entering a race and I'm psyched to do this. It's not something that I need to fear. Um, And I've trained for this many hours. I'm fully prepared for this. And that's what I need to stay focused on. So it's the, the uniqueness that sports psychology um, has used for, for many years. It's interesting to see that the mainstream psychologists kind of are, are you know, poking and prodding that too. Mm-hmm. So we have goal setting and we have some pre-performance routine sort of planning. Um, and then you just sort of touched on sort of self-talk or positive self-talk. Um, you know, and that sounds good in principle, you know, tell yourself you're great and 
you know, I tell myself I'm great <laughs> all the time. You're ready. Um, but I wonder, could you give us, I don't know, if you, a case study or a, a practical example of how we could use self-talk? I mean, you mentioned it a little bit there, uh, about sort of telling ourselves we've trained and prepared. But, um, you know, I definitely see that again with these type A's. You know, I've seen grown men really, like, accost themselves basically verbally when they screw up, like, a, a, you yeah. know, on a rock garden or something. And I'm just like, whew, I couldn't imagine sure. speaking to myself like that. <laughs> It, you know what, it, it's um, a lot of athletes that I work with do that too. They immediately go to this kind of angry, upset, um, just keep replaying that past moment over and over again. And you, if you can make the switch um, to have it be routine to immediately ask yourself, what can I do now? And put it into action. So it's it's not the verbal self-talk that's, you know, encouraging. It's actually action-oriented. So I just fell or I um, made a mistake or I lost some time or whatever that is, but what can I do now? And what is within my capability to get back what I lost or to, um, you know, make the situation the best it can be? So if you, if you practice that over and over, that action step... Um, you really it's it becomes routine right and that's almost with like a keyword right so you'd be you'd have that like what's yeah. next i always used what's next uh in races yep. to try and and then we're touching on focus refocus too but if i crashed or got mm -hmm. distracted or started thinking about something other than the race then i was always like okay what's next like what's the next section or you know checking in on yeah that. so i guess that brings in a couple other tools sports psychology tools i guess right i and, like that <clears throat> And then the one other thing I was thinking about is, like, post-race. So, you know, for example, Peter and I have Ironman this summer. Um, mm -hmm. Once once I cross that finish line, I'm pretty sure this is going to happen to me, and I've heard it happen to, mm -hmm. you know, plenty of other people. You finish that one, and you just kind of get hit with, like, a, like, out of steam, like, no idea what's next. How do you, how do you mm -hmm. deal with mm -hmm. that? Like, you've hit the goal. You've done the thing. Like. I think that's called like yeah. Iron, Iron Man depression or Iron yeah, Man, yeah. I think like it is that. pretty common with Absolutely. Iron Man specifically. <laughs> and and you know what? There, in in reality, there's no reason for it. We have kind of socialized ourselves into believing that once we reach this, you know, monstrous goal, that um, we're going to kind of fall into this like lull. And it's really just having something after the Iron Man race, mm -hmm. and it doesn't even have to be a race. It could be something different. I mean, obviously, with that capacity of a race, you're going to have to make it physical. Um, and it, it can be, a, a, you know, something different. But there definitely has to be some other avenue that you're going to take when you finish that race. Because you will. You, you'll fall into this weird kind of fog. Um, so, again, it's back to planning. Uh -huh. <laughs> And just having something to shift your your focus to. I like that. So kind of already preemptively having your next, if it's not, it doesn't have to be a big goal, just something to sort of tide you over. Yeah. And that would relate to yeah. ret retirement yeah. as well, right? Like that's the mistake a lot of younger athletes and older athletes, you know, whether it's NFL or whether it's you know even recreational sport, you know, they're not yeah. doing things outside of that sport, right? It, yeah, and right when you when we were talking about that, that's what I was thinking about too. Um, it, it's the same thing. It's just continuously having you know these stream of events to focus on. Um, our minds, we we need information. We need um, that constant feedback of doing something and adjusting as we go along. So the planning is is helpful in general. Okay, um, I think I have one more question, and you have one as well, Molly. Yeah, mine's just a little one, but go ahead. Okay, I was just wondering, you know, given your specialty or your, your master's uh, degree, I was wondering if you could sort of touch on, you know, what you find is maybe a common mistake between coach-athlete relationships. You know, that's something that is in my day-to-day -day and, you know, something that I always am trying to continuously improve on, and obviously it's different athlete-to-athlete, -athlete, but I'm wondering if there's anything, you know, as far as advice you can provide me or, or athletes uh, who are listening you know, to better, sure, sure. To better maximize their coach athlete relationship. 
Yeah, I, I actually have spent more time on this recently, so um, it's a good question to ask because it's kind of fresh in my mind. Um, I think that coaches don't give themselves enough uh, mental preparation. I think that they go into practice or training hyper-focused on what they need to do for the athlete. And there can be some mental preparation that they do, even if it's, you know, find five minutes of just mindfulness training beforehand, thinking if this situation occurs, how am I going to react um, to benefit the athlete and myself and to, to move things forward rather than react in a negative manner and get frustrated and then kind of have to, you know, start all over again. So the concepts in sports psychology uh, can be used by the, the coaches too. And I think it's twofold because once they are geared to be more mindful and use these concepts, they're going to um, kind of grace their athletes with that as well. I awesome. like that. That's a really good answer. And then actually on the flip side, is there anything I guess athletes can or should be doing to sort of maximize their relationships with the coach that you've noticed? Um, yeah, I love the 24-hour rule. So my oldest son, he's 12, he plays baseball, and um, the coaches are adamant about um, no conversation about how your individualized performance was within 24 hours of the game, and that goes for parents too. So I say to my athletes now, um, yeah, you got yelled at by the coach, okay, but give the coach 24 hours and give yourself 24 hours, and then please go in and speak to the coach away from the situation and just say to them even something as simple as I'd like to talk about yesterday or I have a question about what happened or would you mind explaining to me. Um, and it, it, it helps the athlete learn to express um, really how they're feeling about the situation, come up maybe with some solutions themselves and then approach the coach with it. Uh, and then it also helps the coach realize that the athlete, you know, really wants to be there and maybe just makes mistakes. And it gives both of them time to calm down. And we all know <laughs> that that is super important. The, uh -huh. the calming down aspect of things just makes everyone think at a clear level. Um, so I just, I kind of grabbed that rule right when I heard it and, and morphed it into, uh, you know, consulting. <laughs> oh, I love that 24 hour thing. That makes so <laughs> much sense. It's good stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And then I guess, uh, yeah, our last thing is just if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, first of all, do you have to be in New Jersey to work with you or can you do Skype consults or... No, I do. I do. Um, I mostly work with phone consults, um, and I have actually a bunch of cyclists that I work with out in California. So um, I, I work with anybody who wants help. Um, so they can, you know, call me or uh, email through Aspire Performance. Um, it's aspireperformance.net. Awesome, and we'll add that in the show notes. And then are you anywhere on the social medias that people can follow along? Yeah, so at Aspire Perform is um, both my Twitter and my Instagram. And then Facebook is Aspire Performance, but they've got all that stuff on the end that I don't think really matters anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, that's super exciting. I think, I think I'm going to have to book you for a consult, but also for a dog walk at some point in the near future. Good, good. We can, we can also combine the two. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You can start charging extra for Ooh, the therapy yeah. of having a dog nearby mm -hmm. and calms that's, people that's down. That's right. Perfect. See, now therapy. I'm getting interested in the dogs because I feel like if oh, I can make money off yeah. dogs, then All right. that's... There, there you go. Perfect. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. It was awesome chatting. And yeah, we'll have to let you know when we're back on your coast. Definitely. That is a must. Well, you guys enjoy the rest of your uh, travels and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks thank so you. much. We'll talk soon. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. 
We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.